the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kiran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. Today's podcast is all about company culture, um, how to identify it and how to improve it. Um, it's a topic we've covered several times on the podcast with speakers discussing team communications and how culture can help a company to function. And it's often an area that is overlooked when we're looking at organisations. We think about the, the hard things of the sales or the headcount or um, the HR side or the legal and compliance. We often forget things that, like the soft skills around culture. So what do we mean by an organisational culture? Uh, Andrew Headley explains. For, for me, organisational culture is really the sort of the DNA of the business. And when I'm when I'm looking at uh, at, at organisations, most of my work, all of my work, is with professional service organisations, and culture is a a really fundamental part of of that sort of that sort of uh, sort of business. Um, so I like to think of culture as you know the things that we that we do within a firm, which are not about the control systems, not about the organisational structures, not about the power structures, if you like, but more about the stories, the rituals, the way in which people behave, what gets rewarded and what gets uh, not not rewarded within the within the whole uh, organisational setup. And the model that I tend to use for to understand culture is is the this cultural web, which was uh, first developed by. Uh, Jerry Johnson and Kevin Scholes many, many, many years ago. And that divides um, culture into, into things like rituals, routines, things like stories, things like symbols. Uh, and it, it separates that from the hard aspects of an organization. So the systems, the processes, the manuals, uh, etc. And I guess the, uh, the metaphor I like to talk about is that if you imagine you landed from, uh, from Mars into an office building, uh, and had a magic key to open all the filing cabinets. Um, because you're a Martian, you wouldn't understand culture, but you'd uh, you'd probably spend your weekend speed reading because Martians can speed read, speed reading all of the manuals, all of the all of the organisational charts, all of the things that you find written down in organisations. And at the end of that, you probably think that you, that you understood the organisation. But the reality is, most organisations are shaped and formed around their culture, which is about rituals, routines, stories, symbols, etc. Not not around the organizational systems. And of course in the uh, the Johnson Scholes model, in the middle of all that is this thing called the called the paradigm, which is really the, the way things happen around here. Uh, and I think that central that central role of culture and values is 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 super important in all organizations. You know, we see it as well, don't we, in the the McKinsey 7S framework, where the thing that sits at the center of the 7S framework uh, is shared values. It's those shared values which actually define the organisation uh, in a way which is quite unique and quite hard to quite hard to imitate. Okay, let's unpack some of that because there's there's quite a, a lot there. So. I can understand systems and processes, and um, one of my bet noirs is policies, and policies are basically writing down your systems and your processes. So where does ritual come into an organisation? I tend to think of ritual as something that, uh, I don't know, some sort of religious ritual or religious iconography. So where does that come in an organisation, particularly a professional services one? 
It's a really interesting question, Kieran, and, and, and you know, I guess some of the examples I, I would use in terms of ritual that we see in all organisations, maybe things that, you know, last Friday of the month we have a, we have a social. Uh, when a new person joins, we go out with them for, for lunch. Or when we induct them, we don't just induct them into into you know how to use the the system or how how to use the the computers. We induct them into what it's like to work around here, and and we actually often will talk either explicitly or implicitly about our values. Um, and for for me, values and culture you know are very heavily in, intertwined. And you know you know if we if we understand our values and we can articulate our values and we can we can talk about the things which which we want to encourage, the behaviours we want to encourage, the rituals, if you like, we want to encourage, uh, and also, of course, the things that we want to to, to, to not see around us. We can start to create an organisation which is which is which is shaped around values and culture. Um, it may be ultimately doing the same sorts of things as other organisations like it do, but they do it with a different with a different purpose. And I guess for me, that whole purpose point sits at the at the centre of culture. So uh, people will, um, I'm sure, be familiar with the work of Simon Sinek, uh, you know, in his uh, sort of very famous TED talk, "Start with Why," and he talks there, doesn't he, about that that onion onion ring model, uh, you know, of uh, of, of what, how and why, and the fact that many organisations, all organisations can talk about what they do. Uh, most organisations can talk about how they do it and how they do it often is their sort of source of competitive differentiation or, or an attempt at comp- a competitive differentiation. But that bit in the middle, that's that sort of why, why we do it, that purpose thing, I think is, is very rich. And we're seeing more and more organisations talking about purpose and culture. As a, as, as a source of sustainable competitive advantage. Um, often when I'm uh, working with, with firms and looking at differentiation, you know, we, we'll talk about all of the, the things that make us different, but in professional services, differentiation is actually quite difficult. You know, mm. people are educated in the same universities, they're regulated by the same regulators, uh, you know, they, they use the same, the, the, the same systems, they subscribe to the same sort of knowledge management tools, and and, and often the di- the difference actually is in is in the culture. The culture is the secret sauce. And so, uh, in working with with with, with firms, I'll, I can often look at two firms which are very very similar on all of those hard measures, um, and yet one firm's doing really really well, and another firm's doing okay but not quite so well. And you know what's what's the difference? And often the difference is in culture. It is in leadership, which for me is. Is, is defined by culture. It is in the motivations of the people, which again is a cultural dimension. Okay, so to, to, I'm trying to sort of anchor this into into the into the real world. So, with obviously without giving any way anything to do with client confidentiality, can you give me some examples of cultures that perhaps don't work as well, and cultures that do in the professional services space? Absolutely, and I think the it's it's been very interesting in the last sixteen months uh, um, with with the impact of COVID, uh, in terms of how it's actually changed the way in which many professional service firms operate. Um, there has been a culture historically of presenteeism. You know, there's certainly stories mm-hmm. in the in in the city of people you know buy, buying a buying a suit and buying two jackets, and and leaving one jacket permanently on the back of the chair in the office. So you know, so they give the impression that 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 that, that they're always there. That presenteeism, you know, which fundamentally for me goes to goes to a 
issues around trust or rather issues around lack of trust has, has been really uh, addressed and destroyed by, by COVID where people have been working remotely and bless me, the whole thing's worked and the, the world hasn't fallen, the sky hasn't crashed. Uh, the old traditional command and control, if I can't see you, you're probably not working hard enough. Uh, has, has has fallen away. Um, so that's one example, I guess, of of, of the of the professional culture uh, of, of of lack of trust in many organisations, which has been shown to be completely without without foundation. Um, and of course, what what we're now seeing is many professional service firms adopting a much much more flexible approach to work. Uh, people being allowed uh, allowed to work at home, allowed to work in the office, allowed to flex their time to suit the needs of their clients uh, and far less uh, hard and fast black and white r- rule sets in play. So the other areas of the cultural web that always confuse me when um, I'm looking at it is um, I, I get stories. We, we all tell stories and um, about the organisation. Where does symbols come into it? Because I think there's a real danger from a marketing perspective that symbols means brands and colours and shapes of packaging. But actually, I think um, in the cultural web, it means much more than that. Yes, I think I think that's, that's absolutely right. And I guess the the challenge, I guess, is we do get into that sort of uh, very direct. It's about the logo. It's about the colours. I think I think symbols. It is about that, but it's also about things like formality and informality. You know, uh, it's 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 it, it's about things like the way in which our, our offices are arranged. So you know, I I can visit a a prospective new client. Uh, walk into the building and I know within 30 seconds a lot about the culture of the organization I understand it by you know is it is it glass and steel or is it is it leather bound leather bound books and oak tables you know is it a is the way in which I'm greeted um, frosty and aloof or is it is it is it welcoming uh, is it uh, is it um, about the you know the decor is the decor traditional is the decor modern they're all symbols which tell me a lot about the culture of the organisation. I guess one of the things which could be quite interesting is when, is, is when we do get uh, perhaps a, a makeover by an external agency who present uh, on the face of it a very modern organisation. Uh, are those symbols misleading? Because sometimes you, what, what you're met with is, is a very traditional outlook. So I think that sort of inconsistency and misalignment of symbols, which can come from, if you like, applying wallpaper rather than a more fundamental shift, again, can be quite interesting. Uh, and I suppose one of the things which I, which I find uh, quite interesting around how we manage the client experience and how we manage culture and how we manage the way in which that impacts on, on, on our people and our clients is uh, the extent to which, you know, those touch points are revealing uh, about the underlying culture of the organisation. I've worked as a consultant myself, and you, you walking from a different organisation, and sometimes you're in several different organisations in a day. The the way you are greeted can tell you a huge amount about the organisation. Um, quite fascinating that some just, as you say, can be just completely ignore you, um, and other yes. places wherever you go, you're greeted with a smile. That, that's that's absolutely 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 right. Uh, and you know, I think one of the challenges in the traditional professions. Is is that uh, aloofness uh, was once seen to be a positive thing? Uh, you know, the client was lucky to have you. You know, the client was subservient to the professional. Uh, if the client didn't sort of give you the correct level of deference, 
then uh, you know, did you really want them as a client? And of course, in the last 30 years, that's that's turned on its head. The client, quite rightly, is king. Uh, but some of those some of those old uh, sort of traits still still persevere. Yes, and I can imagine that perseveres um, lingers longer in some of the professional services. I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think you know it's it's it, it's also that I think that sort of level of professional um, a, 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 aloofness is 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 hard to is hard to overcome in 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 some circumstances. But certainly the the very best. Uh, professionals I see are engaging. They'd always put the client first. They're always listening more than they're speaking. Uh, they're always trying to solve problems. Um, so, so again, those values and cultural traits, I think, are exhibited by high-performing professional service firms uh, in spades. Uh, so, again, you know, some some sort of direct correlation there between the power of culture, the power of the right sort of culture. And, and business success. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College, training marketing and PR professionals across the globe. So having thought about the organisation culture, how can you harness this to improve your team's performance? After all, culture doesn't exist in a vacuum and we are developing a good culture because we want to create a, a better company and a, a better performing company. David Sales explains how to use your corporate culture within your team communications. A slight kind of variation, a more interesting question, how can you tell when a team mm -hmm. is performing? You know, if you were a fly on the wall um, or a member of that team, I think there's probably three components I would bring out. One is there's clearly a direction, you know, they're on a mission <laughs> and you can feel that uh, in the communications that are going on and in the air. Um, there's an energy. You know, so you can sense the kind of total commitment of all the team members towards whatever that kind of mission and the objectives, the objectives are. And the third one that comes out every time is you can feel good communications going on amongst the team. You know, they just instinctively communicate well with each other. Now, that could be because they're just naturally good at it or it could be because they've been trained to do that. But those three things, direction, energy and communications, when I walk in on a team or start working with a team, you can you pick up on those things straight away, and you know where you know what kind of job you've got ahead of you to help them perform at their best. Okay, we'll come back to communications at the end because I think that's I mean that's mm. such a key area. Tell me a little bit more about direction and energy. Um, apart from it, how do you feel that? Because it's quite intangible. Yeah, um, I mean direction first of all. I mean. I mean, they they can't have kind of energy towards goals unless they've got direction. But the the classic thing is that the team have actually kind of discussed and agreed and understood and potentially had a bit of an argument about what what are we actually trying to achieve here? What is our mission? I mean, different teams use different language. Some people would call it the vision, the mission, the uh, the purpose, if you like. But they the key thing is. Um, the leader of that team, if you like, has facilitated an open discussion whereby everyone understands what that direction is. They may well have decided as a collective what that direction is. Sometimes it's given to them, but other times they've decided it. But at the end of the day, they know where they are trying to get to. And if you talk to any of them individually, you would get a very consistent answer about that. So that's what we mean kind of by direction. Um, and it generally isn't just we're trying to achieve this. It's usually backed up by 
what Simon Sinek is referred to as the why. You know, why are we trying to do this? Because that gives them, that leads into the energy then. Because if people have got a real understanding of why we're trying to do this, and that could be for society's benefit, it could be, you know, for other benefits of a certain group of people, or it could be to achieve something in the world, um, then uh, the energy follows typically from that. But it is that clear, uh, unambiguous and agreed direction and so you'll hear them talking about it is that a direction towards a goal so we're here to i don't know um achieve profits or we're here to process x numbers of forms or whatever or could it be we're here to give the best customer service where, where does when when you say direction it could be, it could be yeah it could be any of those things i mean so quite often we you know i've worked with a lot of teams where uh, I'll give you a good example, a housing association, they thought they were very clear on what their purpose was in this particular team. And the team, well, basically the team that went around and maintained the houses for the tenants, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they were very clear, we want to get, you know, a really high performance in the normal statistics that we measure for, you know, response rates, quality of work, that kind of thing. And as we talked about that, they were all clear on that but they weren't necessarily energized by it so we asked the simple question well why is that what you're trying to achieve and, and after quite a long discussion they realized why they were trying to do it because they all worked there because they wanted to help the people that were the tenants who needed a bit of a step up in life and so their real purpose <laughs> was to give people a better life they happened to deliver that by doing a really good job on the maintenance of the houses and so if you can get to that kind of deeper purpose, it's often superficially described in terms of KPIs. It could be profit, it could be manufacturing widgets, as you say, it could be some other kind of key performance indicator. But if you can get underneath that to the, the why are we really doing this? What gets us up and into work and energized? Uh, then you're on to something. And that's what I mean by direction, a really kind of purposeful direction. I'm going to push on this because I can see if you're working mm. for a housing association, you could honestly say that you were making people's lives better. If you're yeah. working for a retailer, and I'm, I don't know, I've got to pick Marks and Spencers just for the for the sake of it. Yeah. Would you? Is there a direction or a purpose of trying to make people's lives better, or is it actually um, that you're there to give a good customer service or a, um, people to find what they want? Yeah, I think this is where you know you, you would typically boil it down to the individual kind of teams. And um, if you're kind of a you know, team leader on a floor, for example, in a store in M&S, and it might be a floor that's selling particular kind of items or particular segment of, sort of garments, um, if you can uh, get your team motivated, I mean, at the end of the day, they will, you want them to give good customer service, but they will give really good customer service if they have a deeper belief in how they're helping the customers, not not just trying to sell as many suits or bras or, <laughs> uh, you know, furnishings um, as they can. But if they can, I would expect it would be along the lines of, I want to, you know, help people make the best choices that are going to make them feel better as a person in terms of the clothes they're buying um, or the items that are going to make them uh, feel more comfortable with their life, more energized and motivated in their life. So if you can get, I mean, those are the best people that we meet in retail outlets, aren't they? That are genuinely interested in what we need as a customer. And they mm -hmm. kind of almost get into your life. They're really good at it. 
<laughs> they understand what, what you need. Even if you're just buying a pair of socks, they'll ask you, you know, why are you buying them? What are you going to, you know, is it for a wedding? Is it for work? Whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. just that interest. Uh, and if you can, as the, the kind of leader, if you like, of that team, if you can get people energized by that. Now, some people will respond to that and will step up to that and enjoy it. Others just despite all the training you give won't get it and maybe they're not right for the team (laughs) (laughs) the cambridge marketing podcast from cambridge marketing college training marketing and pr professionals across the globe and that's it for this week thank you very much for listening next week we will be discussing the metaverse with uh, college fellow neil wilkins catch you then